I'm Ivor Wolf. Welcome to another episode of Geek Skeezers Googleization, a show from the People Forward Network. And I'm Jason Cochran. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. On this episode, you are going to hear from international leadership, communication, and influence expert, Dr. Laura Sicola. She's also a professional speaker, author, executive coach, trainer, podcast host, and TEDx speaker. And she's on a mission to help leaders confidently and authentically master the three C's of vocal executive presence. And those are command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Ira, we can't make any guarantees, but our listeners might just be ready to become TEDx speakers, just like you and Laura, by the time we're done today. And if you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the heart and soul of crucial conversations focused on helping you reimagine your tomorrow and exploring the convergence of technology, people, and work. All right, here's something I'll bet most of our listeners don't know. The average person speaks at least 7,000 words per day, which ends up being in the ballpark of 860,341,500 words spoken in a typical lifetime. Yet, in an ironic twist of fate, we remember what we read twice as much and what we see nearly seven times as much as what we hear. The lesson in all of that? Verbal communication has little to no room for error in order to be effective. That is just so true. You know, I don't know how many times, and I'm sure this has happened to, to you and, and obviously to Laura, that someone says, what should I say? And they want a script. They want the words to say, but they give no thought to how they're going to present that. What's their tone and what's their voice and what's their body language when they do it? Even if you're on a phone call and, and you're sitting with your legs propped up and you're eating a sandwich how those words are portrayed, how you, how effective you are in that communication is just so different. And I love something that Laura said in her TED talk, which we'll talk about, is that when you're a presenter, when you have an opportunity, people say, can I get help with this PowerPoint? But they never worry. They never think, they never practice the words that are going to be said. And what Laura is really great at too, is she helps you understand that it's about helping your audience connect and remember they're the ones receiving it like it's a gift. So we're just thrilled and elated that our listeners are going to get to learn from the international expert, Dr. Laura herself. So here's a little about Dr. Laura before we bring her on. Dr. Laura Sicola is a leadership communication and influence expert speaker, author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice, and host of the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. Her mission is to help executives become confident, inspiring leaders, whether live or virtually, in order to get the results they want and to make a positive, lasting impact. As the founder of Vocal Impact Productions, she has trained and coached executives at Comcast, IBM, the U.S. Department of Commerce, and Women Against Abuse, along with politicians, business owners, nonprofit leaders from all around the world. Laura's TEDx talk, Want to Sound Like a Leader? Start by saying your name right has over 6.2 million views and counting, and she's been featured on programs such as Fox and Friends, NBC10, and Philadelphia 17. She also has spoken to thousands of people at conferences around the world, such as the Professional Business Women of California Conference and the Pennsylvania Conference for Women. She receives her PhD in Educational Linguistics from the University of Pennsylvania, 
where she also taught from 2001 through 2013. So without further ado, let's bring on Dr. Laura Sicola. Jason, Ira, hi, it's so great to see you. Thank you for having me on the show today. Absolutely. We're so thrilled to have you. And so why don't we start here? Can you give us kind of the, the speed dating version of how you kind of ended up on this path and became an expert in leadership communication and influence? I'm a teacher. That's really where it all started. And for me, what's most important is helping people feel heard and understood because that was always my biggest frustration when I felt like no, 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 but you don't understand what I'm saying. You don't understand what I mean. You don't understand. I hated that feeling growing up of not being understood. It's one thing if you disagree with me. It's another if you're not getting it because you're not understanding, right? If that's why you're not agreeing. And what's the t-shirt says, I, I'm not telling you why, or what is it? I'm not explaining. I'm just telling you why I'm right or something along those lines. But uh, you know, I was always fascinated by foreign languages. But the idea of learning additional languages as Spanish in high school and then Japanese later, and there's a fascination, but also a frustration on knowing that there's so much more in your mind that you wish you could convey and you wish you could convey accurately. And you want to wear a sign on your forehead that says, in my language, I'm smart, <laughs> but in, it's hard to get it across in when your second language is limited. And then you start to understand how challenging it is for others who also want to be understood, but don't know how to convey what they're saying in, in whatever other language. And so fast forward, when I was doing my doctoral work, all of my research was about speech, about how the brain processes speech, about learning, about communication, the sound of your voice, how it processes in the brain, what makes something go in one ear and out the other, what makes something stick, and all the different uh, filters that we have that influence both how I choose what I want to say and how I choose to interpret what I hear you say. And therein lies the gap, the disconnect between what I think I say and what you think you hear. And that was really the springboard that led me into coaching. And it was funny because when, I think it was about eight years ago, nine years ago, when Sheryl Sandberg, who is the COO of Facebook, she had a big TED talk that came out. Uh, the book Lean In was the hottest title on the bestseller list and all that. And I remember, you know, I was in academia at that time and I started checking in networking events with a lot of the professional women I was encountering saying, did you read the book? Is that, what did you think of it? Because as an academic, I hadn't really lived the corporate life that she was describing. I hadn't seen those frustrations. And all of the women that I was straw polling were saying, absolutely, let me tell you. And they would share their stories. And it was always about the frustration of not being heard. They felt like their voice was not being heard. And so I started asking, Do you, would there be an interest in something like a training on vocal empowerment for women in leadership or something. And I kind of expected a nice little pat on the back, like platitudes. Sure, that sounds good, Laura. Good luck with that. And instead, the response was overwhelming. Wait, you're going to do a training in that? Where? When? How do I get a ticket? Can I be there? Can you do it again? What, are you going to record it? What about the? Okay, apparently there's a need. And that's where Vocal Impact Productions was born. I mean, right now, effective communication. I mean, we need it so sorely in our world. We've always needed it. But how have you seen, especially over the last two years with what we've gone through and so many people now are communicating virtually as opposed to in person, how has that impacted communication as you've seen it and how you've been coaching your clients? It changes so much. If anything, it identifies what you were already bad at and just highlights it and makes you realize you really need to close that gap. And it's frustrating for many people as well because 
areas where they were good, where they did feel confident, where they were more competent speakers, those factors, those conditions have changed now. And they've gone from comfortable, competent to kind of awkward back to that teenage, I'm not sure who I am, what's wrong with my hair, I'm afraid to look at you because I have a zit on my face that I never would have been able to see if we were just in the conference room, but now I see it staring me in the face right there on the screen along with everybody else. Uh, you know, And it's almost like that, that little black dot of the camera is this magic portal that sucks the life out of a call, that sucks the personality out of the human. And people just fall flat and don't really know what to do. And of course, when everybody else has their cameras off, which because again, their inner seventh grader says, don't look at me, and they turn their cameras off. So you're just staring at a bunch of boxes and you feel like you're talking to yourself half the time. And it's this, this downward spiral of, well, if you're going to do that, I'm going to do this. Well, if you're going to do that, I'm going to do this. And it's all sucking out the life of the interpersonal connection of communication that, that gives energy to the connection. So I have my, it's actually been great for business, frankly, because now there's this new realm of teaching people how to take their in-person best and have that person show up on camera, on video, because this is where 99% of the world knows you now. And helping people learn to do that translation has been fabulous for business development, at least. I bet. And are there a couple tips or tricks that you're willing to share with our audience that have really helped people become better, stronger communicators through the virtual modality as opposed to being in person? Yes, absolutely. So here's a fun tip for you, especially if you know that you're not going to be able to see most of your audience. So if you think about who is it that you really love to talk to, if you think of your family, your best friends, your pet, that's fine. Print out a little picture, a hard copy of that person or of that animal, whatever it is, and tape it right next to or below the camera and stare at that person, talk to that person. Because when you your mirror neurons work in your brain, where if you see that image smiling at you, you kind of can't help but smile back. So it allows your energy level to come up because when you smile, it literally has an effect on your voice. You get more animated, you get more, uh, more human, more relatable, and that helps to boost the energy and to boost your connection. And one of the other things that I will say, honestly, if nothing else, everybody out there, please upgrade your microphone. Your laptop computer microphone makes you sound like this. And this is not something that you want to listen to on a regular basis. Um, that's actually where Zoom fatigue comes from. It's not just about being sick of seeing yourself on video, but when you're hearing sound that sounds like somebody's in a tin can or in a cave or underwater, you have to concentrate harder just to figure out what are they saying? What are the words? Much less, what does it mean? Do I agree with it? How do I feel about it? What do we do as a result? So when you have to sustain that level of heightened concentration for four, eight hours a day or longer, that's literally cognitively, emotionally, and physically fatiguing. So plus, when you sound like this, people go, oh, it doesn't sound like it's that important. I don't want to listen. But when everybody else sounds like this, and then you cut through the noise and you sound crystal clear, people perk up and they go, oh, wait, that sounds important. I better tune back in. So we got to get past that sort of unchallenged campaign of mediocrity with regard to how people show up on video and little details, little tweaks make a huge difference. So there's my two tips. And so Laura, you mentioned earlier that there's this gap that you're helping to bridge, which is what people think they're communicating versus how it's actually being received and, and the information that's being received there. How do we help bridge that gap for people? 
that's a big question, but a lot of it begins with not just thinking about what do I want them to know, but who are they and what do they want to know? Not just what do I want to tell them. So whether you're trying to have a heart to heart with somebody or you're trying to give a presentation, you know, every situation is different, but think about who's your audience, what is their need? What is their greatest pressure or concern or motivation? And then how does what I say, how how will it land with them? How What uh, will make it digestible? What will make them able to hear what I need them to hear in a way that they can hear it? So it may be a matter of simplifying your vocabulary, not talking down to them, but not getting stuck in what I like to call the expert's curse where you just assume everybody knows the acronyms, the background, the history, the technical specifications, et cetera, and you drown them in details. You open mouth, turn on fire hose, and just let every man fend for himself. That's not something that's going to connect you to them. You don't want to talk down to them, but think, do they need all this technical data? Do they understand it? What am I sharing with them that is directly relevant to their job and why? Tell them that part first then see how open they are to hearing other details or identify which ones they don't. But it's not just about you sounding smart. Often we try to prove ourselves, for example. It's like, I want to prove that I worked hard, prove that I did my research, prove that I'm smart, prove that you should trust me. So I will unload a huge volume of stuff on you to try to keep talking my way into proving more to myself than to you that I actually know what I'm talking about. Here's a thought. The best way to make someone think you're smart is to make them feel smart. And you can do that by taking something complex and explaining it so simply that they just go, oh, yeah, I got that. Okay. The simpler you can make it, the smarter you sound. Totally counterintuitive. Absolutely. And very much needed in terms of how we communicate in the business world too. Obviously at home too, my wife is always telling me, Jason, you could have summed that up in five seconds. She's very much a get to the point type person. And I tend to take the circuitous route around and provide a lot of details. And so that's really great advice for our listeners to understand. Most people do have short attention spans. And so you do have to get to the most important pieces very early on before you lose them. Yes. I think it was Einstein who said, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. When you shut off the screen, all we're relying on is words, which goes back to the old days about communicating by phone or strictly by email and how it gets misconstrued. The words that we use get misinterpreted um, because they they can't read the tone behind there. So we almost have to tell a little bit of the story. I, I always say just because I talk louder and slower doesn't mean they're going to understand it if I'm talking in a foreign language. So if I all of a sudden decide to speak Spanish, it doesn't help to talk louder and slower. But it has a major impact if in, in connecting with the other person, because it may give them a sense that you're at least trying to communicate, you're trying to relate. But removing the body language and removing the tone is, is really almost catastrophic for communication. And until I was probably in my 40s, no one ever told me that. A lot of people think that it's just the words. And there's so much room for misinterpretation there, especially in the digital world, if it's only text. And nowadays, it's not even email, which for most people was at least full sentences and paragraphs. Now you're down to text messages and WhatsApp and two thumbs and whatever you can communicate in as few words as possible, which leaves 
far more open to interpretation. Absolutely. So I guess the question within that would be, it's about telling a story. It's about having a narrative. And it's not only having intonations, but even if you're using words, even if you have images in back of you, if you're doing a PowerPoint and you have an image in back of you, it's not just repeating the bullets and it's not just reading a script. What's your advice for helping people to be able to tell stories rather than just write words and read off the read off the page? Please don't do that. Please do not put your script up on the slides and then use that as a giant crutch to because you don't actually know your own content. That is not the way to uh, connect with your audience by any stretch of the imagination. You know, when it comes to slides, and I'll, there's a couple pieces in what you asked, Iris, so I'm going to pull out one or two and then you can redirect as you like. But when it comes to slides, you know, understand that people can't listen and read at the same time unless you're literally just reading the script out loud to them, at which point they really don't need you there because chances are they can do that for themselves. So congratulations, you've rendered yourself obsolete as a presenter. Again, not a great way to connect with your audience. But if you have this giant text of paragraph of text or list of bullets or just truckloads of information on a slide and you're trying to talk and you're saying other things that may be related to what's on the slide, but you're otherwise going off in whatever direction it is, they can't do both. And because we tend to be a very visual world, they're going to just tune you out. You will turn into Charlie Brown's teacher, if you know what I mean. All they hear from you is wah, 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 while they're looking around your screen going, what is this stuff? Wait, I got to read all these things and oh, I can't be bothered. If anything, you don't want to compete with your slides for the attention of the audience. The analogy that I like to use is that you and your slides have a Gladys Knight and the Pips relationship. And what I mean by that is that Gladys was the star. 100% in the spotlight, she sang all the lyrics, melody and only melody. She soloed. If there was harmony, it was that they backed her up and that was non-negotiable. Pips were always in the background. There was always the three of them. None of them ever stood up from the others. They strictly were backup. They were visual and auditory aids. So you and your slide are, have to decide which of you is going to be Gladys, the star of the show, the expert, the one people turn to for the primary content, and which one is backup, which one is supplemental material. And the way most people design their slides, it's so demanding of the audience's attention to look at it and go, what? is this exactly that you get turned into that backup, that pip of sorts and slides become the star. That's not where you want it to be. Be Gladys, high heels and sequins or not, that's totally up to you, but be in the spotlight. Moral of the story, don't be a pip. So Laura, you're starting to debunk some of the myths that are around effective leadership communication. What are some additional myths that, that might be permeating out there that people think are good rules for being an effective oral communicator? Ira mentioned earlier, he referenced some balance between uh, words and voice and body language and, and those pieces. And one of the most pervasive myths that drives me absolutely bonkers, so thank you for the opportunity to, to debunk it. You may have heard something along the lines of, uh, I've heard it phrased as, well, you know, 55% of all communication is nonverbal. Or, well, you know, words are only 7% of communication. Or sometimes 93% of all communication is nonverbal because that's the minus seven part. It, people have different variations of that. That's all incorrect. Words and voice and body language, when you think about content and delivery, 
that's what we're talking about. The words are your content, the what you say, and the voice and the body language is the delivery part. It's the how you say it. And it's how those work together. It is the integration, the alignment, the congruence, pick whatever word you like. That's what matters. It's when there's a, a mixed messaging going on because there's a lack of alignment that miscommunication happens. And that's when the balance between, well, which of those three channels, the words, voice, and body language, or the verbal, vocal, and visual is distracting me most? And which one am I choosing to believe? So. I mean, how many times have you had an argument with somebody where the one person gets mad and the other person goes, well, why are you upset? What did I say? And the response is, well, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. Been there before. Yes, I think we all have. It's part of the human condition. And so that what you said for houses, how you said it. So maybe you said something like, and I'm just going to throw out a random example here. Maybe you said, no, it's fine. I'm not angry. It's fine. And you're going, clearly that's not fine. So what? I said it's fine. I see Okay, so now the words are, it's fine. I said, it's fine. And yet you don't quite believe them on that one. Why might that be? Perhaps because the sound was like, you know, somebody firing off a rocket or because the face said, don't come anywhere near me. The arms were folded. The eyebrow was cocked. The, you know, whatever it was gave you the sense that things aren't fine despite the words. That's because what the body was conveying didn't match. And as a result, I put more weight on the rest of the interpretation than on the face value of the words themselves. So that is because, note there, there's a study and those numbers, the 55, 38, 7 kind of a thing, are from one study from the 1960s that was extremely narrow so it has been grossly overgeneralized. But what that study was really saying was, if you think about the example I just gave, when the content and the delivery, the words, voice, and body language don't match, that's where people choose to ignore the words and the body language and the voice become more important. So more simply put means when you're a bad communicator, that's not something to aspire to. That's not a rule of thumb to utilize to help you be a better communicator. It's completely wrong direction. A good communicator has words, voice, and body language that all reinforce each other and send one globally unified three-dimensional message where people hear it, they see it, they sense it, sounds like you believe it, and they go, okay, I got it, because that's the foundation of credibility. Think about it this way. If you have great content, but you don't deliver it well, it's like taking a pearl and dipping it in mud. There's good stuff in there. You just really can't find it. Flip side, if you're not really saying much, but you're doing it really charismatically, it's like putting lipstick on a pig. It might be entertaining to somebody, but it's kind of cruel and annoys the pig. So there's really no purpose to it. Both have to be good. Great content, great delivery. That's where you'll be most credible. So when you hear somebody say, I'm, I'm really passionate about this, <laughs> there's a disconnect. You know, or, or or when I don't even say the words and I and I don't know I'm doing it, but I roll my eyes and my wife says, why are you doing that? And I go, I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. They go, of course you did. <laughs> we are speaking. Exactly. In sports, we often uh, talk about, I say we like I'm playing sports. You think as a fan of sports, you often hear the term moxie when they'll often describe like a player, like there's, there's certain intangibles that they possess to be able to command something. And the first C in your model is command the room. That's really fascinating to me. Is there a way to put into words what that gravitas 
or what that charisma is that people have? Is there an equation to it or words that you can put to it? There, there's a number of different ways to look at it. If you wanted to go in the technical route, I'll just give you the resource. For example, there was a study that came out from the Center for Talent Innovation, uh, which was 500 uh, senior leaders from companies across the nation. And they really did a great job of breaking down what gravitas means. And they found all of these little elements and they sort of weighted them ranging from, do your words have teeth? Like if you say, if this doesn't happen, this will be the consequence. And that X doesn't happen. Do you follow through? Are you willing to do what's unpopular because it needs to be done? Do you demonstrate expertise in your leadership and what you say, et cetera. So gravitas can have a lot of different, it can also include empathy. Do you know when to be empathetic and not just be authoritative? On a simpler line, command came up because many moons ago when I was first out of college and I decided to become a teacher, I was going to teach in elementary school. And my father had been teaching for 40 years at that point. And I remember asking him be, right before I started teaching, I always remember anytime I'd meet his students, they'd always tell me how much they loved him. Oh, your dad was the best teacher. He was this and he's so great in that. And I said to him, you know, how do you get the kids to respect you? And he said to me, Laura, you can't just demand respect. You have to command it with your presence. And I was, what, 22, 23 years old, and I didn't really understand what that meant, but that has been by far one of the most profound pieces of advice I've ever received. There's something in your presence. There's something steadfast in it. There's something honest about it. You're willing to own your mistakes if you made it. You're not going to cringe. That's part of gravitas as well. Do you realize when you made a mistake, can you own it? Can you apologize if necessary for it? And can you move on and learn from it, teach from it? there's a strength in humility at the same time. But having that presence to be able to show up and say, I'm confident in who I am, but I want to listen to you too, is all a big part of it. One of the things, Laura, that is, is so simple, when we meet people, the first thing that we say is our name. And I, I believe you said that we say our names incorrectly. Yes, we do. And that's actually the title of my TED Talk, uh, which is called Want to Sound Like a Leader? Start by Saying Your Name Right which is, of course, just one piece of the talk. That's not what the whole thing is about. But when we say our names, when you think about it, how many networking events, meet and greets have you had? Most people blow through their names a mile a minute at the slowest. So and many people often feel like, oh, I just, I don't like talking about myself. I want to get past this part. So they just mumble their name real quick. I've said it a thousand times. You've said it a thousand times, but they haven't heard it a thousand times. So number one, we need to slow down to let people's brains catch up with their ears. Number two, we tend to smash it all into one word. So even if you're giving your first, middle, and last name, it just all sounds like blah, 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 giant stream of sound, but we can't actually tell, was it one name like Madonna or was it multiple parts and hyphenated something or other in the middle? Uh, we really can't tell how many pieces we heard. And at the same time, oddly in the last 20 years or so, people have started introducing themselves like it's a question. Hi, I'm Laura Sicola, like I think. You just want to say, well, how about you get back to me when you figure it out? Okay, because if you don't know, I, I don't know how to help you on this one. So with the tonality, the speed, the smashing it all together, we need a new equation. So the equation is that when you begin, number one, slow it down. It may feel even oddly slow if you slow it down enough, but it doesn't sound oddly slow to them because they're trying to capture it. Then we want to break it up. So where there's a first name and a last name, Laura. Sokola, there should be two parts with an audible break 
in the middle. Can be itsy bitsy break, but we do need to hear where that is that first time. And then tonality wise, tonality is the the melody, right? The highs and the lows and where they go. So we want to go, if you give the full name, and I really do recommend giving the full name the first time around, at least, it would be Laura Sicola. So first name goes up, last name goes down. Up is like saying there's more, I'm not done yet. And then down, meaning, and now I'm finished. That's the period at the end of the sentence. So to, as opposed to saying, hi, I'm Laura Sicola. It's hi, I'm Laura Sicola. And most people, if you extend a handshake or something, they will go, oh, I got that. And they won't need to repeat it. I had a friend who I taught this to, and he was constantly on the phone, part of sales and part of whatever else. He's like, as soon as I started doing that, people stopped asking me to repeat what I said. People otherwise would say, sorry, what? Or, you know, his, I'll just pick a name. If his last name was Toter, it would have been, was it Toter or Toner or Toller or Tover or what was it? Dover. They kept messing stuff up. When he did it this way, people just said, oh, got it. Huge difference. And you know what? I'd love to have you guys do it. How would you introduce yourselves following the pattern? Slow it down, up and down, and a little break in the middle. Ira, you first. No pressure. Ira Wolf. Beautiful. Jason Cochran. There you go. And nobody will ever misunderstand it. I was thinking we had we had to go back and re-record the early parts of the show. <laughs> we introduced ourselves, but I think we did it okay. I think we did it okay. It's perfect. And now see everybody will know from this episode forward how the introductions start differently. Laura, as you were talking, not only about the, our name, how we rushed through that, and I don't remember the statistic, but it's a pretty significant difference of how quickly we think, how quickly we speak, and how slowly people hear. Can you comment on that? You know, I don't have the statistic. I don't have the number, but... Um, Mind you, you're talking to a Jersey Italian, so we skew those statistics as far as how fast you can talk relative to how fast you can think. We keep up pretty well. But for the listening part, everything depends to an extent on what are you talking about? Are you just chatting about weekend events or are you trying to give a really technical explanation on some new technology that's come out? The more complex or complicated your topic, the slower it needs to be, the more white space there needs to be them more of a pause between point A and point B to let people process what they heard. I like to say, let your brain catch up with your ears, but it is really required to slow down and be understood, especially if you are talking to a group that does not have your expertise or is from a different culture, a different language background. Maybe you're the foreigner, maybe they're speaking in a second language. That adds an extra processing delay cognitively. So we really want to slow down. And I don't mean slow and loud as Ira demonstrated, but I just dealt with this yesterday in some pitch coaching that I did. And there was a young woman who was pitching and she was from another country and her work was so good. Her pitch was outstanding, but A, the microphone wasn't great and she rushed through too much of her stuff. And she was concerned that her accent would be difficult for most people or for anyone to understand. And I said, the accent itself is actually not a particular barrier. Your English is beautiful, but your microphone creates the equivalent of an accent. It makes it harder for people to hear. So I would, A, fix that. But then when you're going through these lists, these bullets on your slides, finish the first one and give it a vocal period, and then a half a second pause. Then go through the next point, emphasize what's most important, and then another period. Finish that one, as opposed to da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
break that down, break this down, break that down. And I mean, auditorily break it down. I don't mean in your explanation. When I hear pieces, this finished, then it's like my brain can translate it so much better. Your accent in the ears of the listeners will either disappear or otherwise become irrelevant. And her eyes lit up like, oh, I can do this. And, and I'm not going to be held back because of it. I said, no, if anything, it's the people who do the opposite of what I'm telling you to do, who will give themselves a digital accent, so to speak. Going back to the PowerPoints, uh, when you have the slides and it's you have 10 minutes left and you go, this is really important, but I got 10 slides to go. <laughs> and, you, and you blow through the rest of the slides and this is the really important part. Yes. And it's right up there with people who have slides where it's either a, a, um, a spreadsheet or something else that's like three point font by the time you project it onto the screen, whatever else. If you have to preface a slide by saying, you probably can't see this, but you've already just shot yourself in the foot. That's what I call a selfish slide. You put it up there because you felt like you had to include it just because you knew it was there but you're not actually planning on using it to teach anybody else. So that's an ego slide. Get rid of it. Laura, we are unfortunately coming up close to the end. We're going to hit our lightning round. Uh, a few questions just so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. But before we get there, your website lists a very interesting skill that you possess that we need to hear from you. And that is that you are fluent in Pig Latin. Can we get a little bit of Pig Latin on the Geek Skis and Googleization show for our listeners? I am a little rusty. It's, I haven't traveled to Pig Latania recently, but uh, nevertheless, <laughs> the rules of Pig Latin is simply that you take the first consonant, the first letter of the word, and you stick it on the end and then add the letter A. So I can tell you that I may aim nay is way orale ecola say. My name is Laura Sicola. There you go. Impressive. Ira, how about some Pig Latin from you? All my languages pick Latin sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm speaking in pick Latin a lot of times. Awesome. And E-Way, appreciate A, Googleization Nation A. I'm not sure if that's right, but we appreciate you, Googleization Nation. Laura, this is our most fun part of the show. The rest of it was really fun too. Um, but we're going to ask you a couple questions. Is this part of the segment is, what don't we know about Laura? What was your childhood nickname? Uh, my nickname in sports teams was Pep. And that's because my last name is Sicola. Get it? Pep Sicola. So when I introduce myself to people now, the mnemonic that I'll often use is that my last name is Sicola. It's like Pep Sicola without the Pep. I'm the Pep. Obviously, do a ton of speaking and you're outstanding at it. I'm I'm jealous. What was your hardest moment? I mean, people think that you like people and you like to talk and you got a great subject and you just go out and do it. What was your hardest moment as a speaker? My third TED Talk was a, an internal at a military base. And about halfway through, I blanked. And there's nothing like being up there when, because a TED Talk is not like a presentation where you're interacting, you're ad-libbing, you've got slides and all sorts of stuff. It is a 15-minute monologue that takes forever to memorize, like months. And to get up there and halfway through, suddenly you come to the end of a point and then I had no idea what the next sentence was. And my brain just spun. And I, I kind of vamped for a few minutes. I paraphrased what I had just said. And then I babbled about something else. And I just sat there thinking, come on, flint and steel, flint and steel, flint and steel, something spark, please, something spark. And I, I, I honestly have no concept of how much time passed. It could have been 10 seconds, could have been 30, could have been longer. I really have no memory of how much time I just sat there doing 
what I'm sure if anybody had actually paid close attention, they would have been like, what is she talking about? But it finally snapped and I clicked back into place and went, right, okay, let's move on to point C. And we kept going. So thank God I, I was able to recover. But that was really, uh, you know, a perspiration moment, to say the least. You'll appreciate this having done a TED Talk. It was really, when, when I did mine, it was really one of the most humbling experiences. They weren't sure if they were going to let me on stage right up until the end because I kept changing it. I, I knew the stuff, but every place I went, well, I was if I was at the gym, I just kept reciting it over and over again. I'm driving down the street. And I remember thinking that I must be the only person in the world struggling with that. And I remember hearing an interview with Harry Hamlin, the actor. And he had just done a tech talk. Now, this has got to be five, six, seven years ago. And he said, I'm driving down the street. And he said, people must have thought I was crazy. He says, because I'm driving down on L.A., I'm in Wilshire Boulevard, and I'm just talking to myself over and over and over again. And he said to him, and here's somebody who'd been on screen, learned scripts. So he said, that was, was most the difficult decision or project or conversation I've ever had to do. Which makes total sense. And of course, that was in the days before cell phones. So now everybody looks like they're talking to themselves in the car. That's that's a perfectly normal experience. But memorizing a TED Talk is different because TV acting or even movie acting, scenes are only a couple minutes apiece. And it's usually you and somebody else interacting. So you're only memorizing a sentence or two at a time. A long monologue is something from like A Few Good Men where it's 45 seconds, two minutes, whatever it is of, of ongoing, but you don't have anybody to ping pong off you to cue you on what your next line would be. When it's 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 18, whatever it happens to be, of just you, that is a, that's 10 pages worth of stuff to memorize. It's a whole different world. And, you know, one of the differences between me and some other kinds of coaches out there is I'm not an actor. Memorizing scripts is not what I do. I'm a linguist. It's about the thought, the feeling, the connection, and it's got to be authentic. A script that somebody else wrote is not part of, of my authentic communication style. So yeah, memorizing the TED script was a, a brutal process. I, I did not enjoy that part. Yeah, we, we can go on forever with that. And because in my style is I, I have the slide, I have a story to tell. And it may change every time depending on what I, I remember this and I remember that. And it drove them crazy. It's like, you just changed it again. And being extemporaneous is the right word doesn't work in it. It depends on your coach in the environment with the TED Talk. Next question, because we can spend all day on that. What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Ironically, because I came from a long line of teachers, I swore I would not be a teacher. That didn't happen, obviously. And it's a good thing words don't have calories because I eat them way too often. But all I knew was that when I was 16, my grandmother, my one non-Italian grandmother, she was from Chile, and she took me on a trip there. And that was my first experience in a foreign country muddling through the basics of a, of another language and, and all that kind of stuff. And I just remember thinking, I don't know what I want to do, but I know it's going to be about languages and cultures and meeting people from all around the world. That That's as close as I got. Um, and then ironically, a few years later, this past year, my son, my oldest, was applying to colleges, thinking about majors, career possibilities, all that. And he said to me, mom, did you always know that this is what you wanted to do. And I looked him square in the eye and said, sweetheart, I didn't know what I do now was a thing until somebody offered to pay me to do it. So you just have to have your, your eyes open and look for opportunities because by the time you graduate college five years from now, the world's going to be so different. What's the best advice you ever got that you ignored? Oh, let's see. That would probably be about maybe 10 or 15 years ago before I pivoted in my, my business to become Vocal Impact Productions. 
I had a slightly different consulting practice. And there were really two very, very different groups that I was serving. And they both were relevant to my skill set, but neither one was enough to make me uh, abandon one in favor for the other. And as any business owner knows, you can't chase two squirrels. You got to sort of pick your niche and put all your efforts in marketing and things, especially in the early stages of business. And they kept people kept saying, you got to pick one. Pick one, just throw caution to the wind, hold your nose and jump, whatever it is, flip a coin, but pick one and go. And I just couldn't feel at peace with picking either of those two for a number of reasons. And so I just sort of never got out of second gear with that business. And it wasn't until I pivoted when the opportunity to create vocal impact productions happened that I was able to really focus on leadership communication as my niche. And then it made sense. And I went, oh yeah, now I get why. I probably should have listened a long time ago, but it all worked out in the end. Really appreciate you being here. Been a, a tremendous help for the geek skeezers and Googleization audience and our, our Googleization nation. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, very simple. My website is vocalimpactproductions.com. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. If you do, please mention in your uh, contact request that you heard me here. Otherwise, I often don't uh, accept things if I don't know why or you know how someone knows of me. And of course, my podcast as well. So once you've listened to this one, then if you want to add one more to your list to Speaking to Influence, and that's a lot of fun as well. And you can find that on speakingtoinfluence.com as well as all of your standard podcast platforms. Well, we can't thank Laura Sokola enough, Dr. Laura Sokola enough uh, for being here today. Jason, I don't even know where to begin. There are so many things that are so obvious. And I thought I knew about communication. I won't say I'm the best communicator in the world, but I, I know the basics and I'm always trying and, and how important body language and tone is and, and also the words that we choose. But when we started to talk about the presentations, because we, we both do speaking, uh, and I'm asked often, can I see your PowerPoint? There's so much reliance on that. And yet people just don't don't make it a priority about thinking of how are they going to discuss the slides? How are they going to discuss what their topics? It's not discussing the slides. I love the analogy about Gladys and the pips. You're either going to be one of the pips or you're Gladys. And you forget about that. We do so many so much animation and imagery and content and video that we put on the, on, on the slides that we make them the star of the show. And it's really about us. And people are there to hear us. They're not there to get the slides. If you want the slides, just send them the slides. Absolutely. Uh, that was an incredible takeaway. And the other one for me was every week we have these incredible guests on. And I leave with things where I'm like, wow, that completely changed my thinking. Well, this week, not only was my thinking changed, but now I'm thinking through how I speak and not just only on the podcast, but even here at home and running through that funny story of, you know, my wife is always saying, get to it, get to the point, Jason, you're taking too long. When you listen to literally an expert, one of the leading experts in this field of oral communication, and you hear her speak. I have no doubt our listeners are going to just be enamored on the podcast with the quality. And so not only was she teaching us with her words, but what she just modeled for us was basically a PhD level course in linguistics for our listeners to actually hear what it's like to present with clarity and brevity 
and to also pull on the, the heartstrings too to tell a compelling story. And so those are the things that are going to stick with me moving forward from this episode. And one of the most telling things are, and there were times I was I would just sort of looked away from the screen as we were recording this, and I know where our listeners are just listening to the words, but to hear the story behind the words, that there's a narrative. And although we were able to see Laura when we recorded this, you didn't have to be, and our listeners won't be. And yet it feels like she's in the room. Absolutely. And she is definitely commanding the room, the first C in her model with the gravitas and charisma. So we can't thank her enough for not only teaching us, but for modeling for us today, what it means to be a great communicator with our verbal expression. I'm Jason Cochran. You've been listening to Geek Skeezers Googleization. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And I'm Ira Wolf. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. Until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans.